For all the title wins, we forgot Foley's first outlast them all. And if you like the finger poke of doom or not, WCW would eventually fall. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in and checking us out on the very first edition of Kicking Out of Two in the year 2019. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. Thank you all once again for hitting that download button over at SoundCloud.com and being part of all the fun this week as we're going to bring you our Trading Places series. It's going to kick things off here in 2019. Probably one of our more popular concepts on Kicking Out of Two where we take the results of certain moments or events in wrestling history and we flip those results. We play a little role reversal, if you will. And this week, we're going to... We're going to evolve with the concept, if you will, and we're going to take the finger poke of doom from WCW Monday Nitro on January the 4th, 1999, and we're going to flip the results of that and lay out all the what-if scenarios. And then on the other channel, Raw's War, USA Network, same evening, January 4th, 1999, we're going to... Dissect and discuss and, and and play a little role reversal with Mick Foley's very first title victory against The Rock. So we're going to have a lot of fun here. Justin, the offensive coordinator, the play caller, my younger brother, a guy who's helped uh, really get kicking out too off the ground, if you will, and has helped behind the scenes a little bit. He's making his return on air this week as we discuss two instrumental moments in the Monday Night Wars history as well as all of wrestling history. So I can't wait to get into that with him for a little bit. Hope you guys all had a great holiday and a great new year. I know I did. Uh, looking forward to many more adventures with all of you you tuning in and listening each and every week right here on kicking out of two thank you all for your continued support thank you for the support that you've given me in my start in podcasting my solo podcasting start here with kicking out of two last year in 2018 it was a lot of fun and i can't wait to have more fun with you guys collaborating with Kobe Nida and Retromania doing Marking Out the Days, uh, which you can find every Thursday on iTunes and over at moleholeradio.com. This week, Kobe and I are going to uh, we're going to discuss moments from January 3rd in wrestling history. Uh, some moments from Raw, some moments from Nitro. Uh, we're going to discuss a Saturday night's main event involving Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful, so you can check that out later this week over at moleholeradio.com. Not to be confused with January the 4th, 1999, Finger Poker Doom, Mick Foley's title victory. Yeah, we're going to go back a little bit over at uh, Marking Out the Day. So check us out over there. I'll have a link up for that show on the uh, social media. And speaking of social media, if you have not joined the fun, by all means, do me a favor and the rest of the Kicking Out of Two crew and join us. Hit that like button over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out of Two. If you have not already, hit the like button. If you have, tell a friend. We have all kinds of fun discussions and debates, pictures, videos, memes. I post stuff that I you know, added to my studio. My wife got me some really cool gift, Christmas gifts, some old Hasbro action figures. All kinds of fun stuff over there, so check us out, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. You can also do me a big favor and help grow our following on Twitter because it's not as strong on as it is on Facebook and I want I, I want I want Twitter to I want our Twitter following to to get beefed up in 2019 so give us a follow on Twitter our handle is at kicking out two k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two the same fun that I'm creating over on Facebook I'm trying to do it on Twitter but only 140 characters or less so give us a follow tell a friend to give us a follow be a part of all the fun on our Facebook and Twitter social medias with kicking out at two and 
before we get into the uh, the, the trading places uh, series with Justin as he joins us momentarily, I thought it'd be fitting that we uh, that we discuss. The year in wrestling in 2018 overall, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes. I mean, a lot has gone on. WWE, New Japan's continuing to grow. Ring of Honor is at a good pace. Impact is on the rise once again. The indie scene is hotter than ever. The international wrestling scene over in the UK and and in uh, Scotland and Wales. and uh, I mean, it's just wrestling is a very healthy business these days. And it's only continuing to, to become even more healthier into 2019. And... I would love to get this individual's opinion on the state of the wrestling business as we head into this new year in 2019. So without further ado, allow me to introduce this individual making his return to Kickin' Out of Two here in the year 2019. The play caller of Kickin' Out of Two, my brother Justin Rosenbluth, joining me. What's happening, man? Not much, man. It's uh, certainly a happy new year, a happy holidays. Uh... Caught whatever's flying around out there, battling a little bit of a cold, but, uh, you know, some coffee, some cold medicine, you know, the typical routine, we'll get through it. I appreciate you being a trooper and joining me this week as we kick things off. Uh, let's talk, before we get into the trading places, Finger Poker Doom versus Mick Foley's world title win, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the year 2018 in the world of professional wrestling. Give me some of your highlights, lowlights, what you... What you enjoyed seeing, what you didn't expect to see, give it to me. Uh, you know what? I thought 2018 was a, I don't want to say a banner year, but I think, um, you know, this is going to be a transitional year of sorts when we look back on it with, you know, with our rose-colored lenses. Um, highlights, um, you know, and I'm going to kind of look at this from my, my live event um, perspective, uh, you know, having attended WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans, you know, I was very fascinated with uh, particularly NXT TakeOver. Of course, WrestleMania was what it always is, which is a, a spectacular. But, um, you know, I look back at, like, that ladder match, the NXT TakeOver ladder match for yeah. the North American title. Yes. Uh, you know, to people recently, I was saying, to me, that was, in my opinion, the uh, maybe the best multi-man ladder match the company, the WWE has probably ever put on as far as, you know, five man, six man, one, you know, all against each other, every man for himself type match, you know, not, not including TLCs or tag okay, matches right, or anything was, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as far as look on my face, I was like, yeah, 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 no, definitely. And you know, everyone had that look as far as every man for himself, you know, five, six, seven, eight guys all against each other ladder matches. I think that's the best one. The, the WWE's ever put on. I thought that was fantastic. You, a lot of stars were made that night for sure. Um, that would certainly be a highlight for me. I think, you know, sticking with that weekend, Ronda Rousey's debut, I thought went a lot better than anyone thought it could have gone. Agreed. Um, we're totally talking, agree. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, 2018 awards handed out and she's been heralded as a rookie of the year of sorts. And that isn't egregious, uh, but I will certainly say, one that might stir the the pot a little bit is that she probably had the best debut of anybody in the history of the business in a single match. Um, it's, you know, on the, given the stage it was on and the performance she put on, and you know her her capability in the ring with who she was there with. Um, yeah, I thought that was another uh, fantastic highlight, which you know has brought Ronda Rousey to being the biggest star in the WWE today, without a doubt. So that's those are a couple of the highlights uh, on the low light side. Um, you know, I think all the, uh, the the crown jewel controversies 
that uh, have ensued at the latter end of the year um, would be on the low end. You know, certainly um, a very conflicting time for many wrestling fans. Very difficult to kind of put into to words and thoughts, you know, in this very polarized society to kind of figure out where to stand, where to be, what to believe, what to not believe. Um, I thought there was the great potential for that to end up worse, and maybe we're still getting the, the fallout of that now, but it was definitely um, a very uh, just unfortunate set of circumstances that, of course, are outside of the control of the WWE in many respects, you know, in the world of geopolitical affairs. So um, that was, I think, probably one of the lower of the lows um, that you can kind of put in that small handful of historic lows. Um, you know, and I think... You know, it, for me, while I didn't necessarily think it was too much of a um, a uh, crisis or red alarm, but the uh, the late year uh, dip of viewership that uh, you know caused you know the alarms to go off in the wrestling world with the McMahon's um, taking over Raw and SmackDown and kind of reshuffling the deck, if you will, I thought was a great response to everything going on. But I, you know. When, when the audience isn't pleased with what they're seeing, whether or not they, they're smart to the business or think they're smart or just are just casual fans, you know, you, you gotta, you're here to, to please the fans. And I think that, you know, there was a, there was a time where they, where they, I think, realized eventually that they weren't doing that as well as they could have been. So I would consider that for sure a low, whether you think the, the product is good or not. It was clearly not being met with the, with the enthusiasm I think a lot of people wanted. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, you know, as far as my thoughts on 2018 itself, um, I thought we were in a year of, uh, like you, transition, and we're really setting the table in 2018 for what the wrestling world is going to continue becoming and evolving into with the state of, of the business, with all the organizations that are out there and, and things of that nature. Um, Particularly for me personally, um, I've always tried to give WWE the benefit of the doubt, and I still do to some extent. But there was this this was the year where I was like, where I, I I was a little more harder on what I was watching and a little more critical of it. And I try not to be critical because it's a, at the end of the day, it's a TV show. You know what I mean? It's just entertainment. It's wrestling. I don't try to take it too seriously like most fans or fans that we've spoken to, but. Um, I was a little. I branched out a little more than I than than I expected to, uh, in terms of my viewing habits and watching other wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I dipped into some Impact Wrestling when I had the time. Uh, Ring of Honor as well, New Japan, and then of course, you know, what the guys in the Elite um, have done with All In. Uh, All Absolutely. In, I watched on my phone through a uh, through an <laughs> through an illegal feed. Uh, but I mean, I was. I, I wasn't. Let's just put it to you this way: Raw's three hours. It's hard enough to trudge through three hours of Raw um, these days, and it's been that way for a while, in my opinion, uh, since they went to three hours. I can't. I could probably go on one hand the amount of Raws that have been three hours that have been entertaining, cover to cover. Oh, of you know course, I mean? it's hard. That's not easy. It's, it's very hard. So um, movies aren't three hours long most yeah, of the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But anyhow, um, well, let me ask you this: you, you know, you talked about like all the other organizations, and I, 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 you know, put my finger on a few of them over the course of the year. Um, 
you had said that you know you would you branched out a little bit to to kind of see what else was out there, mm-hmm. which is I think what everybody should do. Yeah. Um, did you do that because of your lack of interest in the product, or did you do that because of your peaked interest in what was out there? You know what Over I mean? Because I mean, right? Because what I mean by that is I think it's very easy for people to bash the WWE when something isn't going the way they yeah. think it should or or want it to go. I think it was a little you know, false. I think okay. I, I think there was I think there was interest. To see what they had to, what those other organizations had to offer, um, as well as um, my, you know, my lack of interest in what WWE was putting out at times. Right. Because um, I feel like too, like a lot of people will give, they will they will give the the flack to the to the big bad WWE, but at the same time, you know, they will they will lean kindly towards you know those upstarts like the elite or you know mlw or what yeah. have you kind of you know to a different standard you know they'll they'll, they'll, they'll put on the, the rose color lenses for them and 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 very much support and cheerlead the efforts there meanwhile you know if it if it took place on the usa network on monday or tuesday it's it's not you know, it's unacceptable, and it's. it's I will say, you know I, what I mean. No, I get what you're saying, and I and I I agree that most fans are like that. I'm not saying that I'm the exception. Um, I just I just went in it to go watch good wrestling. You know what I mean? Sure, right, right. And have some and have another uh, another layer of wrestling to 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 add to my my visual Rolodex, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no, of um, course, yeah, absolutely. So I didn't really, like, look at it like, well, you know, oh, they're putting out better stuff than WWE. Some stuff that they did was better, in my opinion, but there was other stuff that was just very Bush League that I that I had watched. Um, well, like, here's an example. Like, we're talking about All In, right? Yep. And I, and I was able to watch much of that in, you know, live and parts after, but, like, if WWE does Joey Ryan's penis army entrance... It is crucified oh, yeah. to the Absolutely. high heavens. Absolutely, you know what I mean. But it, it, it happens at all in produced by the elite, and it's the greatest. It's, it's, yeah, it's art. Yeah. You know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. no, I get it. So, I get, yeah, and and some of the, and I'll be honest with you, some of that stuff that they I don't follow all that being the elite stuff. Um, I you know I, I I try to follow as much wrestling as I can, a variety of wrestling, um, where. You know, whenever I can, because you know, we, we we both have real lives. You know what I mean? We both have stuff going on in our lives where wrestling doesn't you know take over. It still has a big part of our life, but not as much um, when we were younger. Anyhow, um, when it comes to like that stuff, like the penis druids, and when they did the storyline where Hangman Page killed Joey Ryan, like right, yeah. me, me being the wrestling traditionalist, I'm not Jim Cornette where I'm gonna crucify it. By any means, but at the same time, it just didn't register with me, and, and you know, I, I could, I, I could do without it. But it's, but I understand why maybe a younger generation of wrestling fan appreciates it. I guess you could say, or they, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's an, a generational thing. My age, I really don't know, but I can understand why others uh, took a liking to it. I didn't, but I'm not gonna, you know, totally blast it and and. And be a goddamn sadist, <laughs> right? Right. When, absolutely. When it comes to the, when it comes to that topic, but I, I know for a fact this year when it came to my viewing habits with wrestling, especially if it was WWE, I wasn't I wasn't staying up three hours to watch Raw, and even like going back to the you know because I have it on DVR, even going back to it on DVR, if I'd read something that like 
I thought was interesting, I'd go check it out. But if I read something that it was just like status quo, same old, same old, right. I'd hit the delete button on the DVR. I didn't have to watch it anymore. That, that's that's me just being a little older. SmackDown, on the other hand, I felt has been the consistently better show throughout the year as opposed to Raw. And I felt like that's probably been done based on the fact that They've got that new deal going into Fox into fall of 2019, sure. and they're trying to stack the deck and make that show more appealing to Fox, and 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 in hopes that Fox doesn't have buyer's remorse. Sure, when, when but it comes to the, and when, that's, when it comes to that that's deal. probably exactly you probably hit the nail on the head. But I also think too, you know, as I just spoke about earlier, the you know the big bad WWE gets you know really no benefit of the doubt while the while the upstarts get all of it, all of it. Yeah. I think you get that within the WWE. Raw yeah. gets no benefit of the doubt. Raw is the sounding board, you know. I know Jim Ross used to say this a lot. You know, Monday Night Raw is it, it sets the tone for the industry. It's Monday Night Football. It is, yeah. it is the big stage, yep. and it will always be that. Yeah. And I think people realize that to the point where it's now it's not cool anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think they look at SmackDown in comparison and, and, and consider that the upstart. Yeah. And of course, you know, even within WWE, it's been painted as the land of opportunity and the place where you know, future Hall of Famers have cut their teeth. So I think even within the, 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 the machine, that little cog in the wheel, SmackDown, gets looked at, I think, more fondly on a, on a, for biased reasons. Yeah, yeah, of course. In the same way that, like I said, it get, you know, WWE is compared unfairly to you know, the upstarts or vice versa. So, yeah. um, But I would agree with you. I think SmackDown was probably the better show. Um, for my taste, two hours, I think, is a sweet spot. Yeah. Maybe even 90 minutes yeah. of just... You know, attention grabbing stuff, um, especially when pay per views themselves are getting longer now. Yeah. Which I don't think was really the solution to anything. I think that yeah. was, you know, like to me, like I always felt like when you watched a pay per view, you were entering like a different universe where that showdown was happening. Yeah. Now, aesthetically and just, you know, the tone and voice and overall mood. It's just another episode. It's a longer episode of Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just another day in the in the life of WWE. Where yeah. you know the only time that the only times you really feel that like buzz, like I'm watching and of like something special would be like Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, WrestleMania SummerSlam, yeah. and even Survivor Series to an extent. Yeah. So outside of that, yeah, everything kind of blends together to me, especially yeah. with with all the you know Crown Jewel and Greatest Royal Rumble and Super Showdown. Yeah. There's so many different story arcs within like this it, I can almost look at it like it's a graph like you see all these different lines kind of intertwining and ebbing and flowing where it's you got to find w- which linear plane to jump on and, and yeah. it's all I don't want to say confusing but I can definitely see where it's it, hard to keep up sometimes yeah no yeah, doubt no doubt sometimes for but sure. you know what in this digital age like you know this is the way it's going to go there's going to be something out there to feed you to the next phase of consumption so whether it's youtube to wherever but you know it's always going to be there well that's a great point that you make the digital age and i think that's what's well like that's the era that i think if if we're going to define this next era of wrestling not just with wwe but with everything in general i think we would i think call i think the digital age is a perfect way to describe it with all the content that's out there i mean impact wrestling uh, you know, it's had a rough, you know, few years, but in this last year and a half, two years or so, they've really begun to make more positive strides in their creative and in their product. Where now they get more views on their social media than they do on their network, on their cable television program. Right. MLW is making is making a mark in the industry. They're 
a big hit on YouTube for the people that don't have BN Sports in, in, in a large part of the country. Right. Lucha Underground, same thing, even though the rumors of their demise after every season seems to be a regular topic of discussion. Ring of Honor and, and, and New Japan, digital, you know, they, it's, if, if, if there's one era, if there's one name I could name this era, it'd be the digital era because you can find just about any kind of wrestling on some kind of digital platform, which I think is pretty cool. And it's, and it reminds me in some ways of the Monday Night Wars where you had Raw on USA and you had Nitro on TNT and you can go back and forth. But now you can have wrestling anytime you want right. on any kind of platform, phone, uh, streaming device, streaming service, you know, things, things like that. So um, I look at 2018 as a positive year in wrestling for me and look at it, you know, there's, there's highs and lows like there is every year. I like you. I I loved Ronda's debut and the progress that she's made in WWE. I thought that was very good stuff. Um, I like you. The the crown jewel controversy kind of you know was a sour point for uh, for for me personally as well. Um, where my fantasy wrestling world met the real world and real yeah. life topics that we are that we are um embarking on um in, in our society so um overall i'd say 2018 was a very positive year and like i say setting the table for what thing for for what's to come in the overall landscape of professional wrestling and more evolving in the industry oh absolutely yeah, yeah. like i said 2019 18 was the transition 2019 i think is going to be Really, really big. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot's going to happen, continue to happen on fronts with Saudi Arabia and, you know, the relationship that's there, whether or not we like it. Um, and then, you know, you get to October of, ne of next year and it's, you know, things are going to blow up. And, you know, I think how even the XFL plays into the future of WWE following 2019, you know, yeah. those, the next few years are going to be very, very interesting for the wrestling industry as course the top dogs wwe go continue to go through change as they have which is why they're still you know the force they are is because they continually evolve yeah agreed agreed and like, and like i made mention of um comparing this this new era to uh you know what we live through as youngsters the monday night roars which brings us to this week's topic here on our trading places series um we've we've done quite a few trading places since we started here and kicking out or two and the last few we've kind of evolved a little bit um normally we would take an entire pay-per-view event and we would flip the results of each and every match and then i kind of took survivor series in november and Cherry picked some matches from Survivor Series throughout the course of its history and flipped the results of that. Well, now we're going to take one of the most infamous evenings in all of professional wrestling and in the Monday Night Wars, January 4th, 1999, as we approach the 20th anniversary this week of these two events. Over on Nitro, we had the finger poke of doom from the Georgia Dome. Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash in the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And on the other channel, we had the WWF Championship on the line with The Rock defending the championship against mankind. Now, how do these two big moments link together? Well, there's a certain individual over on that Nitro show that made that, helped make that possible with just the slightest 
insulting statement that he could make throughout the course of that program, and I'll get to that in a minute, but why don't we start with the finger poke of doom? Why don't we go back just a little bit to Starcade, where this really all started? The main event, Kevin Nash and Goldberg for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. In 1998 at that time, I was a, I, I was 14, 15 years old, I believe, and Kevin Nash and Goldberg were probably the two most popular good guys at the time in WCW, Goldberg being the top, Nash not too far behind. Goldberg had the undefeated streak, Kevin Nash was the leader of the NWO Wolfpack, and these two juggernauts, if you will, met in the ring and... I wouldn't say it was a clash of epic proportions, but it was it was a, it was an entertaining match, at least from my perspective. History saw it that Kevin Nash would become WCW World Heavyweight Champion with a little bit of help from his good buddy Scott Hall, who at the time wasn't really his good buddy. Scott Hall was an, an island unto himself. He had turned his back on Kevin Nash and sided with NWO Hollywood. But then NWO Hollywood kind of had enough of his personal issues, and they kicked him out, and he wasn't welcome in the Wolfpack. So Scott Hall was trying to make a name for himself, and at the same time he was trying to... Um, getting the good graces of his buddy Kevin Nash again. So Scott Hall dressed up as a security guard, uh, tases Goldberg with a stun gun, while Kevin Nash, unaware of the situation, is dealing with the referee, dealing with Bam Bam Bigelow and Disco Inferno, which we kind of talked about on our Starcade 98 watch-along last week in the archives over at SoundCloud.com. Daryl and I uh, sat down cover to cover and watched the entire Starcade 1998. Hope it's not as brutal for you guys as it was for us watching it, <laughs> but uh, you can go check that out. And if you feel like watching along with us, you go over on WWE Network and search Starcade 1998. But anyhow, um, so Nash wins the title in controversial fashion. It's kind of a mixed reaction. People love it. Some people hate it. We get to the next night on Nitro. And actually, before we get to that, what did you think of the finish to Starcade 98? Um, kind of surprising. I know Goldberg is in the middle of being one of the top, 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 tippy top guys in the entire industry between both companies. Um, at the same time, I don't think I was really disappointed looking back on it. I mean, at 98, so I was almost 10 years old. I wasn't entirely disappointed. Kevin Nash, the Wolfpack, they were cool. They were they were pretty hot. Um, it was, I don't know. I, again, my, my fandom of WCW wasn't uh, live and die, so I didn't look at their, their clash at Starcade as must-see either. Mm -hmm. I just looked at it as just another match. Um, you know, the WWF, which was, you know, my home team, they were, you know, printing money and, and, and all that stuff, so... Uh, my again, I I would say that I wasn't too disappointed only because, you know, like most people, because I, it's just okay. What's next? Even as a, even as a as a ten year old, I know like okay, what's gonna happen next? Like something, you know, this one hundred and seventy three, you know, match winning streak just ended. You know, this this isn't you know, Goldberg ain't going anywhere. You know yeah. what I mean? So what's next? Yeah, uh, was kind of what I was like. Oh, okay, cool. Because I don't, you know, we didn't get that pay-per-view. I didn't recall watching it live. So finding out that I went I, to a friend's house to watch it. Right. So finding out that he had lost wasn't like, it wasn't like The Undertaker losing to Brock Lesnar in no. the Superdome. It was just, and maybe it should have been. Maybe that's where they, maybe that's the part where that fell short is it wasn't made a big deal that Goldberg, at least to my recollection, that Goldberg, Goldberg's massive streak got to, got ended. And I know it was, it was done in controversial fashion, but 
just didn't seem like a big deal. Obviously, what was to come on January 4th kind of pieced a little bit more of that together to get people going, but, uh, you know, immediate fallout from that pay-per-view wasn't, to me, earth-shattering at all. Um, okay. Yeah, that's just my off-the-cuff recollection of it. Okay. All right. The next night on Nitro, December the 28th, 1998, from Baltimore, Maryland, Kevin Nash and the Wolfpack come out, and uh, Nash basically... Uh, Wants to make things right, <clears throat> excuse me, for what took place. Having no idea that Scott Hall got involved. Uh, the crowd in Baltimore not really on his side. Some Goldberg chants. He seemed pretty somber that he won the title and talks about why he got into wrestling. Money, power, and respect. Um, then he kind of switched the subject a little bit and he offers Disco Inferno a spot in the Wolfpack if he beats Bam Bam Bigelow. The same two individuals <laughs> that got involved in his main event match the night before then he shifts the conversation back to that subject and scott hall talks about what hall did was wrong talks the history he had with him and talks about how in scott hall's twisted mind he probably thought this was a good thing to do for his buddy and then he ends it basically saying goldberg i'm going to make things right and i'm going to demand the championship committee to set up a rematch between you and i for the title next week in the Georgia Dome, in his hometown of Atlanta, which kind of got the fans back in Nash's good graces at that time. Right. We shift to the following week, January 4th, 1999. We open the show of Nitro with Tony Schiavone announcing that Hollywood Hogan is going to appear to discuss his political aspirations and retirement from wrestling later in the show. Now, let's just backtrack a little bit here. It was in November of 98 where Hogan announced he was leaving wrestling and he was going to run for president of the United States of America. Some, including myself, didn't really know what to make of it at that time. Um, was this a publicity stunt? Is he really leaving wrestling? Nonetheless, he's gone. Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump, uh, the, the greatest mathematician in the history of life, becomes the new leader of the NWO Black and White. And the NWO black and white looks very um, B-team-like with Hogan's absence from the group, uh, at least how I remember it. Um, later on in the show, new WCW president Ric Flair coming off his victory over Eric Bischoff the week prior on Nitro uh, forces Eric Bischoff to work in the commentary booth with Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Just keep that in mind as we continue throughout this timeline. I'm going to continue on, but just keep that in the back of your mind. Bischoff in the commentary booth, January 4th, 1999. Um, we eventually cut to Atlanta police approaching Goldberg to inform him that there's a warrant out for his arrest. Goldberg immediately denies whatever the claims are being made by this accuser. The police don't inform him of what he's being arrested for, but the, rather they just tell him he needs to go downtown with them to straighten this out. Goldberg explains his reputation as being tarnished, everything he does for charities in the community with kids, falling cops, etc. And then he refers to Officer Jack, who is a, a friend of his, apparently. This Officer Jack calms Goldberg down and eventually convinces him to go to the precinct as they cut to commercial. 
And coming back from that commercial, Goldberg is handcuffed and escorted out of the Georgia Dome in a police car when Kevin Nash shows up, wanting to know what's going on, stating that the charges are bogus, and he's visibly upset over Goldberg's arrest because he wants that match with Goldberg later on that evening. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Hollywood Hogan appears. Not in any limousine, he just comes walking, strolling up to the building. Big old Hollywood Hogan, out of nowhere, looking amused at what's taking place. And then Nash says, oh, you think this is funny? And Hogan goes, I do find this funny because I'm a politician. I believe in law, order, and justice. And a man doing his time, if he's guilty, and yes, he's guilty. And he starts laughing, <laughs> and he walks into the building. Um, and as he walks into the Georgia Dome, we see um, what appears to be Atlanta detectives speaking with Miss Elizabeth as they go to the next segment moving on because <laughs> this can get a little uh, a, a little hokey as as this this uh, scenario takes place Goldberg is at the police precinct which happens to be across the fucking street wearing his wrestling boots and he's being arrested for aggravated stalking Miss Elizabeth they interrogate him in a small office as Goldberg denies these claims. We then move on to the next se sequence of events where detectives interview Elizabeth. She's claiming that he confronted her by the water cooler moments ago. She claims he's followed her everywhere. The last week's Nitro, the hotel, the gym, the arena, the pay-per-view. He's everywhere. She feels threatened. We go back and the cops are interviewing Goldberg and inform her of her statements. Goldberg responds back that they are booked in the same arenas, the same hotels, and the company sets up the whole thing. The gym she's claiming to be stalked at is his gym because he owns it. <laughs> Cops are trying to figure out the situation but will not release Goldberg until all info is finalized. We then get back into the arena as Mean Gene Okerlund interviews Kevin Nash to get his thoughts on the situation. Nash claims Goldberg got screwed and Liz's charges are bogus. He claims Hogan is behind the whole deal. And then Nash calls out new WCW president Ric Flair to get a match with Hogan that night on Nitro as a warm-up match. He says, I'll tune up Hogan and then I'll face Goldberg for the title in the main event. Flair comes out and agrees and demands Hogan wrestle Nash because Hogan is still under a performer's contract. Now, mind you, when this handshake deal took place there was no mention of this match being for the wcw world heavyweight title interesting okay this was just a, a, a regular match police then continue to <clears throat> interview elizabeth asking her more questions as she's becoming more reluctant to answer they ask her where this happened and she claims now by the coke machine they ask what he was wearing, and she claims red tights. He's followed her to the Marriott, the arenas, the gym, etc. She's still very reluctant to answer these questions. Then claims he calls her on the phone, and when she picks up, he hangs up the phone. She demands he's, that he be locked up, and she's not happy that the police are continuing to question her and look further into this investigation. Which I find rather strange, because if you're being stalked and you feel threatened... Why wouldn't you want to give the police as much information as you possibly right, can? Right. You know what I mean? Anyhow, Mean Gene then interviews Hulk Hogan to find out his role in the Goldberg issue. Hogan states that he came to Nitro as a way to say goodbye to his wrestling fans and announce his vice presidential running mate, but he thinks that he needs to take care of something first. He's sick to his stomach of Goldberg and calls him a sexual deviant. He's upset with Nash for calling him out. He then says he owes his fans a retirement match, and he's going to beat Kevin Nash and retire as the World Heavyweight Champion. Now, mind you, like I said, 
a few segments before. That match was never made official as the World Heavyweight Championship match. Now, this is where the famous line comes in. As Hogan is leaving the ring and they cut to commercial, uh, Tony Schiavone drops the Mick Foley will put butts in the seats as he's going to win the world title over on Monday Night Raw, basically saying, our show's live, their show's taped, don't change the channel, Foley's going to be the world champion. Ha! That'll put some butts in the seats. Then we get to uh, another scene with the detectives. They return to speak with Elizabeth and try to clarify her statements. Once again, reluctant to answer them. Cops then catch her in a lie regarding where this happened. They start to connect the dots with her prior statements and remind her that the company books all talent in the same hotels. They remind her that Goldberg is the one that owns the gym. And they also remind her that he wears black tights, not red, as she claims. They can, they can, How would she not know that? Exactly. Cops remind her that falsifying a police report is a felony. She starts to backpedal as they leave and says she's mistaken. All the bald-headed wrestlers look the same. She wants the police to apologize to Goldberg for costing him his world title shot as she's giggling while she's, while she's making this statement. They tell her to tell him herself as she's smirking. Note... She's not being charged with a felony for perjury as the cops are walking out the door, which I found to be very interesting. And this is where, like, the bullshit alarm goes off as a viewer, in my opinion. Um, and, and it should for most of you smart wrestling fans out there. The police then inform Goldberg of his release, that Liz was lying and that she's dropped the charges. They tell him Elizabeth was lying, but she's going to drop the charges. Meanwhile, the detectives previously say lying is a felony. Yeah, right. So why haven't they arrested her yet? <laughs> no charges have even been filed because they hadn't figured out what happened yeah, yet either. Yeah, exactly. Goldberg then demands a ride to the Georgia Dome as they head to the final commercial of the evening. A ride across the street. Exactly. We come back from commercial to the main event. Hollywood Hogan enters first with Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump backing him up. Kevin Nash is out next, but stops at the bottom of the ramp. He waits and motions for someone to come out, and it's revealed to be Scott Hall wearing an NWO Red Wolfpack shirt, which I find interesting because a week prior, he didn't approve of Scott Hall helping him win the WCW world title over Goldberg, but all of a sudden they're buddies again. In, in this quest to end Hollywood Hogan and the NWO black and white, I just found that to be a little uh, a little fishy. And that's where, like, me as a fan, like, the wheels started turning as I was watching this. Um, where I thought to myself, something fishy's going on. Something's going to happen. Um, and it, it, I remember watching it. I was like, this ain't going to be good. Um, the crowd in the Georgia Dome, they go crazy to see it, though. They've, and the announcers, they, they acknowledge the embrace, but they act like nothing happened at Starcade. Nobody says, wait a minute, I thought Nash didn't approve of Hall's actions, you know? Nothing right, like right, that. right. You didn't hear anything like that. It was like, these two best friends reunited, and da 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 And I was like, even then, I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, some stalling, on, you know, bell rings, and then there's some stalling on the outside. They square up, Nash shoves Hogan. Hogan pokes Nash with one finger, he drops, he goes for the cover, one, two, three, Hogan wins, and they all celebrate. Crowd not happy about it, and then this is the part where Bischoff finally speaks on commentary. Goldberg then races through the building, down to the ring with handcuffs on, still had his handcuffs on, because he was so excited to get out of that cop car and, and, and get to the Say, ring. Why would he still have handcuffs on if he was being cleared of all his charges? Yeah, I feel like that's the ring. first thing that happens, alright, you're free to go, bud, and then just... Here's a parting yeah, gift from the yeah, arena police yeah, department. Yeah, you're gonna ride. You're gonna ride into the the, the the arena with your handcuffs still on. 
<laughs> he, uh, he, he lays waste to some of the NWO. Then Lex Luger shows up. All of us thinking Luger's on Goldberg's side to fend off the NWO. Luger attacks him. Then the NWO just pounces all over him. Garbage being thrown in the ring. Bischoff still on commentary calling the action as uh, Nitro goes off the air with the new and improved NWO red, black, and white, or whatever you want to call them, the uh, the the reformed NWO celebrating this uh, this victory. So there there you have it as far as the finger poke of doom goes, and uh, how that all laid out and transpired. Give me your thoughts on. All right, well, well, well let's just let's trade places. Not even your thoughts on the situation. Let's just trade places. Where do you stand? What do you think would have happened had Hulk Hogan not poked Kevin Nash and Nash took the fall? Um, probably would have got a straight-up match. Um, or, yeah, you probably would have got a straight-up match, but I still think, you know, Hogan would have probably still won. Um, you know, I don't see why. I don't see a one-off for Hulk Hogan on on. You know, cable television being the the end game for him. Uh, you know, I think it, him being the champion uh, was certainly the the more the most logical plan to get Goldberg and Hogan back in the ring with each other. So I think you would have seen it. You know, you I think Hogan leaving as the champion, even as a big nasty heel again, um, would have been the safest way to go, I guess, it would, it would excuse me, the least controversial, and I think Kevin Nash could have maintained his babyface status, um, and then maybe you got a, maybe there's a forged partnership between Nash and, and Goldberg to go after the NWO or go after Hogan, um, you know, and I think you, there's a, there be, lies an interesting dynamic in, in going after, you know, Nash laying claim to the title, Goldberg laying claim to the title, Hogan, you know, ascending back on his throne again with whatever, uh, minions are, you know... Left in the NWO. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that would probably be the best... Or no, I don't say the best, that's not the right word. Um, I would say that would probably be the... the Realistic. Most direct, the most straight-line way to get to, ultimately, what I think would have been the, be the, the, the plan, which would have been Hogan and Goldberg. Now, where does Scott Hall fit into this? Because Hall was an island unto himself for quite some time. He shows up with Nash. You still, if, if, if we're going with that scenario here, and Goldberg and Nash are kind of on the same page a little bit, laying claim to the title, but also having a common enemy in Hollywood Hogan, how do you get past, or how do you factor in Scott Hall into this situation, being that he's the guy that helped Kevin Nash beat Goldberg in the first place. He's probably back in the good graces of Hulk Hogan. You know, you could argue that the entire plan was concocted to get Hogan the belt back, and Hogan would rather beat Kevin Nash than beat Goldberg, who he cannot beat. And let's throw Hall into this into the scenario to, to put the belt on his buddy Nash and make it appear as a as a united idea between the out, the former outsiders. And you know, Hall is really the the sidekick to to Hogan, I think, at that point. So um, Hall helps Nash win to make it appear that they're buddies, and he's doing it for Nash. Nash being confused, they we go through this whole finger, we go through this whole process of Goldberg getting screwed. Hogan beats Nash, but Hall shows up with Nash during that match to make Nash appear that they're buddies again. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that would be part of the entire okay. like con of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like I said, it would, it would, that would be, you know, from the, you know, that would be Hogan's fingerprints on the title match at Starcade the week before. Is he's trying to become champion again? Who does he go after? Okay, does he go after Goldberg, who obviously he cannot beat or could not beat, or does he take the easier, less stressful path to the championship in Kevin Nash, where he can, he can. Break down those walls a little bit, and, and no pun intended with, there. But with Scott Hall is right. like that person. That yeah. Was. So, so all right. So I'm trying to find the logic, though. If Nash doesn't approve of what Hall did for him, then why would Nash partner up with Hall in this match against Hogan? You know what I mean? Well, there that that would be the answer. The con, common enemy would be Hogan. Obviously, Nash, who's still a babyface, and in, in this scenario maintains his babyface status. Wants to give Goldberg the fair shake. He he is now not getting that opportunity thanks to Hulk Hogan, unbeknownst to him. So the common friend would be the guy he trusts the most, despite what he did a week earlier, and that would okay. be Scott Hall. So Scott Hall is there with him because he knows what Hogan's up to. Yeah, or, you know, at least you know according to him. Yeah. Okay. So he would he you know essentially I feel like this scenario is 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 different in. It's not that different, but it would just basically you're just departing Kevin Nash from the entire fix. Okay. You know, the fix would still be in to get Hogan the championship, but it has nothing to do with Kevin Nash anymore. Okay. And you can you can still line up a whole set of heels to, to, to go after, uh, you know, Goldberg and Kevin Nash. And even Goldberg and Kevin Nash can, can continue to have that friction, but like you said, have a common enemy and, and kind of have a, a, an alliance of sorts to get themselves to Hogan. And once you get there, you can figure out who plays into getting that world title shot? Because you have a lot of, you know, there's there's a rematch there to happen mm-hmm. eventually to yep. get them to Hogan, and then there's whoever's faces Hogan, which you would assume would be Goldberg. Okay, all right, all right. Um, now, <clears throat> this scenario that I'm going to bring up is what I thought was going to happen in 1999, based on how things have transpired by my timeline of events that I had spoke of earlier. Um, I thought. Now, first, I'll eliminate one possibility. Nash is not poking Hogan, and Hogan's not laying down for no, him. That's not. for sure. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, in, in 1999 or ever. <laughs> that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, the Hollywood Hogan character was not going to Hollywood. The Hollywood Hogan character at that time was the the top dog, the leader. He wasn't taking a second uh, a backseat to anyone. Right. So I could not see the the roles being reversed in that sense, where Nash finger pokes Hogan, Hogan takes the big bump, and and we, we we get the reunited NWO, but Nash as the champion. Just can't see that happening. Right. That's very similar. To me, that that train of thought reminds me of the same train of thought when Randy Orton won the world title while he was still in Evolution. And I just couldn't see Triple H kind of taking a back seat. Yeah. As cool as it was to see Orton with the title at that time, um, I just couldn't see, you know, Triple H being the leader but not being the world champion. That's right. like Arn Anderson being the world title, world heavyweight champion with Ric Flair leading the Four Horsemen. It just, it, it, to me, I just didn't think it was happening. So right. anyhow, nonetheless, this is the scenario I thought was going to take place. And I feel like this is the most ideal and realistic scenario that that they could have gone with based on the way things had transpired, not only leading up to this, but like... Even before Starcade, and the way that the whole year had panned out with the NWO storyline. Hogan and Nash were the two figureheads for each NWO. 
Nash leading the Wolfpack, Hogan leading NWO Hollywood. Um, that split was ugly, and you saw pretty much a turf war within WCW between the two NWOs. The Wolfpack obviously being the, the, the good guys in the situation, not necessarily being... Um, Pro WCW, they were, you know, the little rebel outlaw group, but they were cool. The NWO, black and white, still had the same purpose. Right. To destroy and take over WCW. You have this turf war throughout the year. Guys are bouncing them back and forth between groups. It got to the point where it was almost sickening to see the amount of guys that were in the NWO and nobody really represented WCW, like Sting and Luger. I thought it was silly yeah. that they were even in the Wolfpack because they fought so hard for WCW months prior to try to eliminate the NWO. And, and I just thought it was really silly, especially Sting. I was like, this is ridiculous. Bret Hart was in it, too. I thought that was fucking stupid. So anyhow, I thought that we get to the finger poke, and two things happen. One, Hogan goes to finger poke Nash, and he's like, uh-uh, sorry, not going to work for me, brother. And then the NWO jump Hogan, Nash, Hall, and Scott Steiner. And then... Nash eventually keeps the WCW title. Hogan's out of the NWO. Because Hogan was going to run for president, and he was going to be gone anyways. He was claiming this was his retirement match. Right. And realistically, the NWO turf war had pretty much taken over WCW throughout the, the year 1998, heading into 1999. And behind the scenes, allegedly, there was a political war between Nash and Hogan throughout the course of their tenure in WCW at, up to that point. Um, so I thought that we were going to kind of see Nash reform his NWO with some of those black and white guys and Hogan be out. And then eventually we were going to get the Hulk Hogan, um, you know, the red and yellow, a return of sorts, him aligning with Goldberg, him asking for forgiveness from the fans. You know, I turned my back on you two and a half, three years ago. I want my fans back. I want my, my you know, I need your support. You know, I helped create this NWO. Now I'm coming back and I'm not going to run for president. I need to kill it. You know, yeah. I need to be the one to end Who better it to know how to do it than, than me? Yeah. And I need your help. And then you can go through the series of events with him going to guys like DDP and Goldberg and Sting. And, you know, because at that time in the Wolfpack, Macho Man was out with an injury. Sting was out with an injury. So you had Nash, Conan, and Luger. You know, I pictured that NWO to look like Nash, Hall, Steiner, Bagwell, Luger, Conan... Kurt Henning, and like Elizabeth would be a part of it. I think Bischoff would be a part of it. Like those seven or eight yeah. guys. I, 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 Brian Adams, Virgil, um, uh, uh, Stevie Ray, um, Horace Hogan. Bye, bye, bye. You guys are all gone. I had a soft spot for Scott Norton because I liked Scott Norton. I, I liked how how physical he was in matches. So I thought, you know, I keep Scott Norton around. So I thought that was going to be like the new end. Giant too, who was yep. eventually going to leave and go to WWF as Big Show. He'd be gone too. That's where I kind of saw that new NWO with like a Hall, Hall and Nash are kind of leading it, and everyone else is following. And then we would eventually see, like I said, Hogan trying to ask for forgiveness. Him going around to Goldberg, DDP. Maybe he'd even recruit Savage to come back, Sting, those guys, and they would take on the NWO and you would see some finality to that storyline where you would eventually see the NWO break up, everyone kind of go their separate ways, and they reshuffle the deck creatively in WCW. Right. I th 
And for me personally, and we've talked about it on this show before, when it comes to the finger poker doom, I didn't have a problem with it as long as there was good follow-up. If Goldberg was going to mow through the entire NWO and eventually be the one to kill them and get his belt back, then I'd be like, oh, that was cool. But right. they didn't follow through with it. They, they, they shifted gears and did Hogan and Flair instead. Goldberg went off to do something with Bam Bam Bigelow. Then, like, and the NWO's dropping like flies. Luger got hurt. Scott Hall got his foot run over in the parking lot of the Cow Palace after Super Brawl that year, whatever the case was. See, there was all kinds of <laughs> stuff going on. The NWO is down to, like, Hogan, Nash, Steiner, and Miss Elizabeth. And it, it was, and then they eventually split the NWO really without even saying that they split the NWO and then you had the NWOB team that didn't really oh, yeah. do nothing even though they were NWO they weren't really associated with that red and black new wolf pack you know so right. there was no real follow up but for me that's that's the direction I kind of I, I thought we were going to go in at 15, 16 years old. I thought that it was going to be the NWO turning on Hogan and we were going to get red and yellow Hogan again. That was just, that was just where I, I, I thought that was the most ideal and logical direction they could have gone in considering the NWO turf war and that storyline that was overtaking throughout the course of 1998. Yeah, I, um... <laughs> I was probably the, at nine years old, one of the only people who actually believed that Hulk Hogan was running for president. So that's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> um, in 2018, that's, all, you know, people would call that a likelihood. But yeah. uh, in 1998, 1999, um, I was legitimately behind the idea of Hulk Hogan running for president, not knowing anything about that arena at that age. Um I think, uh, you know, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was, I always watched WCW and looked at it, especially in its height as, you know, in, in many ways the way history looks at it, as, you know, WCW was the country club for, for, for the, the old guys and the yep. veterans, and, and you know, I didn't grow up like you did and others on Hulkamania and Macho Madness and, and all that stuff, you know, I was a new generation um, aware fan, you know, while I've, while I've, my Brad, entire, Sean, yeah, while my entire, my entire cognitive, you know, life, I've been, I've, I've known there to be WWF and pro wrestling sports entertainment, um, you know, the, the, my, the guys that I cling to the most were, were that generation, like you said, Razor, Kevin Nash, or Diesel, rather, you know, Bret Hart, you know, Steve Austin, et cetera, yeah. Shawn Michaels, so to me, it would have, yeah, it would have, uh, I think that would be probably the one thing I was yearning for was something like a, a storyline that would have probably set up like the the old guys kind of battling the NWO, you know, and returning to the good side of WCW. Mm -hmm. Even though they were WWF guys, you know, I think, like you said, it would have been a real good story to tell to see Hulk Hogan returning to the good graces of the audience and to... to Go after the 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 rogues, the young the young thugs of you know Kevin Ash. You know, like hard to call him young, but still he was still a fresh face, especially in my world. The guy that I you know he him and Hall identified with a younger audience. yeah exactly. They were even though they were they they weren't that young. They were hip and cool, and they identified with that younger generation. Yeah, to me, it just didn't seem like there was. Um, any direction with the NWO at that point, so oh god, no. I liked like you said we've like we, like you said we've talked about before. I liked the idea of what ended up happening or what was being set up to happen, um, because it, even with Goldberg at the top, 
two weeks earlier, it was pretty uneventful stuff going on in WCW. It's you know what I mean? Like the 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 storyline was the beginning of a shakeup. Yeah. It it felt like the page was turning on the new year. We were now getting into some real meat and potatoes type stuff. Um there was more depth, even as nine years old I could understand there was more depth to Goldberg being put out there. He wasn't just mowing through guys and, and winning, you know, consecutive matches after consecutive matches. He was yeah. now gonna be faced with his greatest challenge of, of, of overcoming and, and thwarting the NWO to get to where he was. So I I I definitely got what happened. Um but like I said, I, I either way I think I was a fan of the freshness of what was going to happen, whether it was what ended up happening or like you said, what could have happened. Um, either way, I think it would have been interesting because they needed to do something because what was happening on the other channel was the best stuff on television, no matter what. Yeah. So it had something had to, to change because it was it was very status quo at that point for most of 1998. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. As we get to the other channel, USA Network, WWF Raw is War and the War Zone. Uh, on this evening, January 4th, 1999, this show was taped. It was taped on December the 29th, 1998, just a week prior. Um, this show aired on January the 4th, 1999, and it begins with the corporation showing up, announcing Shawn Michaels firing as the commissioner. It was a week prior where Shawn Michaels, who was the commissioner of the WWF, which was hired by the corporation, and he was kind of in the corporation, uh, had some differences with Vince McMahon and ended up super-kicking McMahon, resulting in his firing. However, Michaels showed up with DX backing him up, claiming that his contract is ironclad and he can't be fired unless he resigns from his position. He then announces that Vince McMahon will be number two in the Royal Rumble match and that he's got a surprise for Vince later that evening that will drive him stone cold crazy. Big pop from the crowd after that segment ends. Um, we continue with this, uh, with this series of events. Later in the evening, as Mankind uh, comes out to discuss his match with Shane McMahon from the week prior. Mankind and Shane McMahon had a match, and he put a beat into Shane. The Stooges got involved, um, and he wants a shot at The Rock's title at the Royal Rumble. Rock being the WWF. Actually, you know what? Let me go back here a little bit, okay? Sorry. I, I, I'm, we'll get back to this. I, I totally skipped this. That's silly of me. This whole McFoley rock championship match really started at Survivor Series. With the McMahon family basically screwing mankind and, you know, crowning The Rock the World Wrestling Federation champion. And The Rock being the corporate champion. And we had the birth of the corporation. The, 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 the real corporation um, on WWF storylines. Probably one of the best twists um, as a teenager at that Survivor Series that evening with all the, 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 the different moving parts in that storyline. Rock becoming the WWF champion. They screwed Stone Cold. Mankind, we thought, could have been the champion and had the backing of the corporation. Nonetheless, Rock's your champion. They screwed Mankind. Um, and the wheels are in motion for the, the McMahon family and their champion, The Rock, to take over the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, following month later, Rock and Mankind have another match at Rock Bottom. Mankind ends up the victor, I believe, in a dis with a, uh, a disqualification or a countout victory, but he doesn't win the WWF Championship. So now he wants another shot at that title. Once again, he wants it at the Royal Rumble, which now we fast forward back to January 4th, 1999. Um, 
He claimed that that pay-per-view victory over the Rocket Rock Bottom designates him a title shot, and he demands Vince to show up and give him that title shot. Vince then arrives. He insults Mankind for a little bit. He came. He claims that Mankind blew his opportunities at the title in the past because he listened to the fans instead of him. He says Mankind doesn't deserve to be the number one contender and claims he will never again have that accolade unless he enters the Royal Rumble. But how does he enter the Royal Rumble? He's going to have to defeat Triple H later that evening. And the winner will go on to the Royal Rumble match. He would then announce that Shane McMahon will be the guest referee for that match with Triple H later in the evening. We get to the match, and it's really nothing to write home about. Typical stuff from these two. Very short. It's Attitude Era, so I can't imagine the match going anything more than five minutes. In fact, that would be a marathon um, back in that day. Um, Triple H wins <laughs> with a sunset flip to <laughs> Mankind and a fast count by Shane. Uh, then Triple H gets on the microphone and states that, you know, Mick, it's just business, and when it comes to the title, he'll take a win any way he can get it. No, nothing personal. Um, he then tells Mick, Happy New Year, and delivers a pedigree to Shane, uh, which lets Mick get a piece of him, and then fully tortures Shane with some Rings of Saturn-type move, and then demands that Vince... Uh, give him a title shot. Vince and the Stooges show up to try and stop Mankind, and Mankind still, you know, wanting that title shot, threatens to break Shane's shoulder. Vince then agrees, but Mankind doesn't think it's good enough, and he wants the title match to be no disqualification. Vince then obliges and asks Mankind to let him go, and the match is made official. Mankind versus The Rock for the WWF Championship in the main event. Um, we move forward, and Commissioner Shawn Michaels is found in the snowy parking lot, a bloody mess on top of a, a car and a broken windshield, and is eventually taken into the hospital via an ambulance or should I say to a medical facility because they like to they don't, they don't like to call it a hospital they like to call it a local medical yeah, facility yeah that's more politically correct I guess yeah you know what I mean <laughs> anyhow um, it's, it's being alluded to that the corporation is behind the attack we get to the main event, Mankind on the Rock, the WWF Championship. Mankind is flanked by Degeneration X while The Rock has the entire corporation all kinds of shenanigans taking place. This is typical Vince Russo stuff. Wild brawl all over the ringside area where the finish comes. Brawling is ensuing from both sides when all of a sudden the glass shatters and it's stone cold Steve Austin making his way into the ring. Wielding a steel chair, he nails the rock and then puts mankind on top of the rock, exits the ring, one, two, three, and the miracle in Worcester takes place. The Worcester, <laughs> the Worcester, Massachusetts miracle as mankind has become your new World Wrestling Federation champion on Monday Night Raw, January the 4th, 1999. So that's what history gave us. Tell me, if we flip the results, if we play a little role reversal, if we trade places... How does this play out? Um, uh, I think uh, what, the way things kind of was set up at the Survivor Series, you knew that Stone Cold Steve Austin was was setting his sights on the WWF Championship. Despite that, um, Mankind's in, involvement and story with The Rock, despite the flip-flopping of the title between that and in WrestleMania was some of the best stuff the WWE's ever put out as far as just intriguing, enticing programming. 
with that being said, um, knowing the future, knowing the plans, or at least the assumption of what was to take place at WrestleMania that following year, I don't think a rock victory does anything to hurt mankind. Um, I felt like mankind winning the title was just a nice little treat for the fans. Um, I think it kept them at bay because there would have been the risk of the rock even going on this long drawn out title reign that could have damaged his, his people, heat. people getting bored of it. Yes. Um, because I think they would have been forced to put the rock and Steve Austin together too soon. And I think they wanted to do everything they could to keep them apart. Mm hmm. And obviously Austin was getting more hands-on with Mr. McMahon at that point. So that needed to see its best conclusion before getting to WrestleMania, as far as them squaring off, that is. Um, I think it, again, it was a nice treat, Mankind winning. Um, he didn't need to win. Um, I think it was a nice story because uh, I think most people looked at Mankind, like you said, as just kind of the average man. Um in many ways, the reject of the at the schoolyard, which is why I always I always like kind of smirk at his association with DX around this time because it almost reminded me of like seeing like the reject at school and then like the cool kids kind of rallied around the reject mm -hmm. and you know they hoisted him up on his shoulders. He's the champion. You know, it, it, I, there's something heartwarming to that. Yeah, yeah. Because you know you can look at mankind and go, wow, like I know a kid like that at school who's who's the nicest all hell, misunderstood, means the world, and the cool kids, from the way they look to the way they act, rallied around him, you know, against the big bad bullies. Yep. So to me, that was the very heartwarming part of the story. Um, however, Rock winning, I think, would have just been a continuation of what was taking place. I don't think it would have been anything spectacular. Um, I think it would have maybe just delayed the inevitable if Mankind was to win the belt, considering the flip floppy nature of it. Mm -hmm. um, but back then, stuff, important stuff happened on Monday Night Raw. Um, the, not a lot happens on Monday Night Raw anymore as far as, like, history. Yeah. Um, not that they were looking to make history, but back then, despite the fact that the title would change hands, what, a couple weeks later? Back then, a WWF title change meant something. When, so, when someone drops the title back in 1998, that's a big deal. As, as much as... The, as much as, So just on that alone, it mattered. As much as the title switching hands had become such a regular thing during that time period, especially between Mankind and The Rock, those title changes mostly happened on pay-per-views. Like you said, a title change on a Monday Night Raw was a big deal because... In some it, ways, it still is. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't it, happen and a no, lot. No, you're right. It doesn't happen a lot, and it's still a big deal. But even as much as we, we've we talked in the past, and wrestling fans talk about the Attitude Era and how great it is, and have talked about you know uh, how, um, how much we've seen you know titles just getting thrown around during that time period... You saw those title changes, like I said, take place on a big pay-per-view. You didn't see that on a Monday Night Raw. So it was a big deal when he won the championship. Um, and we saw a title switch on live TV. You know what I mean? Like, well, not it, live. Remember that. Well, yeah, that's right. I, <laughs> yeah, I forgot. But, you know. But, uh, you know, that's what, that's what made it awesome. And I think that's oh, yeah. the legend of the night. Is yep, no, going yeah. back to what you, know, you said earlier about Shivani's comments. That was the legend of it. And that just speaks to the drawing power. Or not, not even a silver drunk part, but the, the love that people had for Mankind, for Mick Foley. Um, 
I've always said this to you when you when you rank the Attitude Era guys, you know it's Steve Austin, it's The Rock, and then it's Mankind. Mankind is number three. You know what I mean? Triple look, H, the look game. At, look, at, look at the placement of those three action figures. Exactly. There. They front were, and center. Rock, Austin, and Mankind. Right. You know, there. as much as 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 great as Triple H would become and became and is, and uh, you know that he's just he was wasn't even in the same conversation. And the Undertaker yeah. is just Undertaker. the Undertaker. Yeah. He's different. Yeah. Those are the three guys. And that and the fact that, you know, that ending gets spoiled by Tony Schiavone, um, you know, I know McFoley in years later would say that it kind of soured the experience that he could enjoy um with his family and all that, yeah, watching yeah. it on TV. But you know what? I think he should he should, if he hasn't already and if he's listening to this, this would be super cool. But yeah. if he, you know what I mean? If, if he should take the result of Tony Schiavone's underhanded tactic, which was, of course, you know, relayed to him through Bischoff or whoever, um, he should take that as the ultimate compliment. They knew he was going to win and didn't care. Yeah. Actually, no, they did care. And they wanted to go see it. Yeah. So um, I just, you know, I think that the title changes. Again, in 2018, if those happened eight, nine times in a month or in six weeks or whatever, people would, would crap all over. But, in, you know, it just that didn't matter as much, the title changes happening so often, because we cared more about who was the champion, yep. not that they were the champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we cared about the people yeah. that were the champion, um, because they made the title. Mm -hmm. and They made it something that people wanted to see fought for. Um, which is obviously what let you know made Austin and The Rock so big later down the road. So I think that's what I think is so awesome about this era that people can get behind these guys and be so invested in their characters for whatever reason um, that they get to that point where it's it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't even it, it sense goes out the window and it's still awesome. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> as far as how I how I could have seen this play out had mankind not won the World Wrestling Federation Championship. I look at it in, in, in two different perspectives, um, two different scenarios here, I should say. One, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin accidentally screwing mankind Ooh. over for the championship. Stone Cold making his way to the ring, going to nail the rock with the chair. Boom! Rock ducks. Mankind eats that chair. Rock low blows Austin, throws him out of the ring. We got the cover and the victory, and the rock is still your World Wrestling Federation champion, which at that point, as a fan, I probably would feel like, well, now it's the three of them at WrestleMania. And you kind of have Austin and Mankind they have their differences over not only wanting to be the WWF champion, but their differences over the fact that Mankind got screwed by Austin because Austin was trying to get a piece of the rock. Now, thinking like Steve Austin here and his character in DTA, Don't Trust Anybody, if you remember, Mankind thought he was that corporate champion that the McMahons wanted, and, man and Mankind was a part, in some ways, of screwing Austin at Survivor Series. So, you could also argue the logic that, in the second scenario, that Austin shows up and he nails both guys. And he screws 
Mankind and The Rock intentionally and just shows up and does a stone cold stunner to both of them or a steel chair to the head to both of them and then just walks out. And you're kind of left wondering, well, why the hell did he do that? Right. And, well, he's stone cold. DTA, don't trust anybody. You think yeah. Austin forgot that Mankind, won, even though he was kicked out of the corporation or he was never really a part of the corporation, he was a part of screwing him at Survivor Series two months prior? You know, well, they had a whole history. They don't. They had a well, whole slew of things that happened well, yeah. in 1998 as well that I yeah. think would have could have tied all that up. Yeah. You know what I mean for sure. Yeah, so absolutely. I feel like those two scenarios could have been the likelihood of, of of the three of them. Both both of those scenarios eventually resulting in the three of them at a triple threat in WrestleMania, which we've discussed in, in prior conversations that that was rumored to be. The main event of WrestleMania 15. Right. It wasn't supposed to be straight up Austin and Rock. It was supposed to be the three of them, and Mankind was, you know, the 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 odd man out of that situation. Uh, eventually, I feel like those two you could have you could have made a case for both of them. You could have made the case for Austin accidentally screwing Mick, or you could have made a case for Austin just showing up, stunning both of them because he's Steve Austin, do whatever he wants. I'm pissed off at the world, and you know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna create more chaos and then right. but but here's here's where I'm and this is where I might need your help a little bit. Here's here's where I'm stuck on that second scenario. Austin shows up and let's say he hits you know, he hits both of them with a stunner, he hits both of them with a chair, place erupts, but there's still question marks like why did he just do that to mankind? We understand why he did it to the rock. DX and the corporation are on the outside. Vince don't know what to make of it, even though he's pissed, he still don't know what to make of it. What the hell's he doing here? I thought he was gone. Austin leaves. So what's the finish? Does Rock go for the cover over Mankind? Does Mankind go for the cover over the Rock? Do we end Monday Night Raw on January the 4th, 1999 with both guys laid out and Michael Cole and the King saying, we're out of time, we gotta go, we'll see you next week. Where's that land? It's 1998. It's Vince Russo attitude era. You know what? You probably probably throw the Rock over Mankind at that point. Um, And I think... Kind of going back to what you said before about mankind's role in the, you know, and and screwing Austin over. Mankind could be given his character, his personality could be goaded into believing. Well, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily to join the corporation, but obviously he's not happy he won. But he can be convinced. Look, Steve Austin is the reason why you lost. Not The Rock. Not me, Vince McMahon. Whatever. You know, you need, and, and in many ways, be recruited in the efforts to keep Austin away from the title. Gullible mankind kind of thing. Right. And it, but it, in the back of his mind, knowing, like, hey, they've done this to me before, but... Right, and you could get another... Kind of tug on his heartstrings and play with yeah. the emotions of his like, character look, a little bit. Look, we'll, 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 we'll take care of you. You're, you're mankind. You know, you are, you know... Uh, you're you're the guy who fell off the cage, and yeah. you're this, that, and the other. And yeah. but you know what? You need to go get. You know, almost he is a he is a. You know, if you're playing, you know, Super Mario or something, you're you're, you're the mushroom that's going after Mario. Yep. While the big bad boss is all the way at the end of the level. Yeah. You know, getting fed grapes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mankind, go take care of Austin. You go take care of him. You know. He's he, it's his fault. Go get go after him. He just he's returning the favor. You need to stop him. All the while knowing that it's doing the corporation a favor. 
putting putting the putting Austin further away from the championship and allowing the corporation to you know do their thing. Now here's an interesting scenario that I just thought of. Okay, or an interesting piece to this puzzle here. Okay, let's say we go with Austin. Let's say we go with one of those two scenarios where Austin either accidentally screws Mick or he just beats up both guys and walks out. Right. Okay. During that whole brawl that took place on the outside of the ring, if you go back and watch it, DX and the corporation are going at it. Kane was a part of the corporation. He was forced into the corporation because the corporation was going to send him back to the nut house if he didn't if if he didn't do their bidding. During the outside brawl, Kane was standing there watching it the whole time. Kane could play a role in this in some sense if you think about it with maybe Kane Maybe maybe Vince force. Let's say scenario number two, Austin nailing them both and walking out, and they're both lying there, and the corporation is brawling on the outside, and Vince and Shane are standing next to Kane, be like, "Do something, damn it! You you work for me. Do you want to go back to the nut house?" And Kane walks in and he drags the Rock's body over mankind, Ooh, and the referee a, is good. forced. To make the count, and The Rock is yeah. still the WWF champion. That could be a launching pad for, let's say... Kane and Mankind. Kane and Mankind at WrestleMania. Let's yeah. say they don't go Triple H Kane at that year's WrestleMania. Yeah. And let's say... But, I mean, you also got a lot of time between December and, and exactly. March. So, so you they could have yeah, done Kane and Mankind any time between then. And, it and they probably would have. They probably would have done it five times before that and still right, done right, it at exactly. WrestleMania. So, I mean, there's there's that there, there's that scenario that, like, it just, like, popped in my head. And I remember watching it and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Kane's standing there watching all the shit go down and everyone's fighting. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. yeah. He was part of the... Yeah, he was forced into the corporation. And, no, you know, and, that part I remember, but just in the melee of it all just... The fact that Kane just stood there and didn't do anything. And I think that's funny because one of my favorite parts of that entire match, and this is how, um, I don't want to say simple wrestling fans are, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but... Um, so it's okay if you do. Mankind, well, I'm a wrestling fan, so yeah. I guess, you know, I'm not d- detaching myself from it, but yeah. I, th- I want to say, and you, you'll probably be able to, to correct me, there was a point where the where mankind goes for the cover, and I believe Ken Shamrock breaks the pin out, and the audience boos Ken Shamrock, or I believe we'll just call it Ken Shamrock, boos him for for breaking up the count and mankind winning the title. What happens instantly? Like Pavlovian, Billy Gunn jumps yep. in the ring and decks him, and the crowd goes nuts. Both yeah. guys have probably never heard a reaction to anything they've ever done in the ring well, as loud as that. And well, I just thought that was set the, up the brawl, right? And I just thought that was the funniest thing. It was just like. Oh fuck that guy! Yeah, way to go, Billy Gunn! Like, like I said, Billy Gunn was never loved more than at that moment when he basically punched Ken Shamrock in the face because he fucked it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, and I just thought that was just the funniest thing ever. And I, again, going back, and that's kind of what I just thought of based off of King's inaction. That was, that's what started yeah. that, that's what started that brawl on the outside because Shamrock came in Shamrock nailed Mankind with a chair and then yeah. that's when Billy showed up He Billy Gunn gave him like eight lefts and rights in like a two second span they both dump out to the ring and then that's when the DX and the corporation are brawling outside uh, in yeah. front of the announcer's table like I said Kane's in the background watching Vince and Shane are like oh what the hell's going on I think even the Stooges were there too and then you hear the glass break and yeah. boom he's it, out and then I, we, I feel like the whole the I feel like the 
a whole scenario like I talked about, like you know, mankind, the the rejected school, the misunderstood kid. But like the, you know, if you could if you could um, take the match out of the arena, it was literally like a a, a, a schoolyard fight. Yes, you know oh, what I yeah. mean. Yeah. You know, and everyone's in, look at all the the representations of people in that in society in that match. The haves, the have-nots, the the rogues, the freaks, the cool kids. Yeah. They were all there. In the circle, in the sandbox, yep. watching it go down, yeah. and the whole school was watching. Because, yeah. like I said, Billy Gunn goes in there and, and decks Ken Shamrock, and get and you know the the first graders, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> While the older kids are really going at it, that's a good way. Of you know, like it. I said, I you like know, that. I like to I like to kind of you know place things and, and draw things from other you know. That's how kind of storytelling is evolves, and I think that's exactly that's that that was literally just a school fight taking place. In an arena, that yeah. just, it's, like I said, super cool. That's interesting. I like I like that analogy. All right, as we wrap things up here this week on kicking out it too, I think we've laid out all the the most ideal and logical what if scenarios when it comes to the finger poke of doom over on Nitro and Mick Foley's world title win over on Monday Night Raw on January the fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Like to thank you all so very much for tuning in this week. Uh, before we before we wrap it up. Um, give me your thoughts overall on that evening, realistically, what had taken place on both sides and how it, how it affected wrestling history and, and you as a fan to this day. Um, I think at the time, I'm not always thinking grand thoughts, you know, history as a way of no big picture. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's just, that's just natural. No one's sitting there going, wow, how is this going to affect? You're yeah. in the moment, you know. Yep, How is yep, this yep. going to affect the history of things? Yeah. Carpet, thank God. Um, <laughs> but um, I think you've got like it tells for a better it tells for a better podcast if the phone just keeps ringing. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, my phone is someone lost something and they hit my phone so that it's you know what tile go Google tile guys you'll know what that is. Um, so. God, that thing. So, anyway, so let me. No, it's fine. It's fine. So, like, I thought it was a. Would good... you shut the fuck up over there? <laughs> you, you got two big things happening on both shows that I think conven- were not. It wasn't a coincidence those things happened on January fourth. It's the new year. Something big's got to happen. There's a lot going on in the world, just in general. Um, and I think that you're setting up the rest of the year. You're setting up WrestleMania. You're setting up all the bigger things that are going to happen in that calendar year. And I think. That um, again, no no one's thinking bigger. It's it's just the beginning. That's mm-hmm. the way I looked at both yeah. things. It was a nice treat to see mankind win. It was very interesting to see the finger poke of doom, not being called that, especially back then. But just knowing, oh my god, like the NWO's back. There's all this material that just was born. I hate I hate to cut you off, but as you're telling this, and I can hear this ringtone in the background, it sounds like 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 you're you're really deep in thought with this music yeah. in the background, like, <laughs> like it's Jerry Springer's final thought. Yeah, of the day. well, like, yeah, like it's working out really well for yeah, so for this like, podcast. Yes. I must say, yeah, yeah. So like I said, you know, January fourth, nineteen ninety nine, it was the beginning of the new year, and and we were we were setting things up for the long term, and it was just you were now. At the end of the night, going, you know, like, wow, there's a lot to look forward to in wrestling moving forward. Um, yeah, that would be my, my best thoughts on, on that, um, not knowing how history would treat it afterwards. Yeah, I'd have to say, as a kid, it was business as usual, you know, between both sides. Um, 
you know, I, I can't remember being very, um, yeah, you go tell that phone to shut the fuck up over there, for Christ's sakes. Jesus. People don't know, people don't know how to figure out that you're not picking up the phone? No, it's, it's this tile thing. It, it's, it's this tile thing. So basically, you like have like a little button on your keychain or something, and if you lose your phone, you can, and you're trying to leave the house, like, oh my god, I can't find my phone. Like, you press, you find the tile that's attached to your keys or whatever, your wallet, and you press it, and anything that, that is synced up to the tile, the that device will ring and it'll help you find it. Oh, okay. So probably what happened was this you know, it was in um actually this is at her school or whatever. It was in um you know, Laura probably was looking for something and she was she hit the tile and my phone happens to be synced up to the tile, but my phone's the only thing that goes off, so I don't know why. Yeah, that's um, fine. No, it makes, yeah. Like I said, it's going to make for a great podcast. <laughs> like I said, when you were explaining the, 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 the finger poke and everything and the music's in the background, it just sounded like the end to like a really great scene of like a, like a, like a TV sitcom or like yeah. Jerry Springer's final thought. But uh, yeah, it was business as usual. I just remember as a kid, um, I remember as a kid, before Shivani even blew the results on Nitro, WWF spoiled it themselves the night it happened on WWF.com. I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely. That they put sound a picture crazy of a Foley in the, in the backstage area holding the title without the mask on saying, Mick Foley, Mankind, won the WWF championship at a live Raw taping this evening. Tune in next week to USA to see how it all unfolded. So... For people that want to shit all over Tony Schiavone for the whole butts in the seats comment, which that was obviously directed to him from Bischoff, um, but the fact that he spoiled it, um, WWF spoiled it first uh, themselves on their own webpage. So I don't really think that I, I think Schiavone has gotten a lot of unfair criticism. Well, you know what? Let's based so, off on spoiling it. Well, so let's let, let's ponder this thought. Okay. Did the WWF spoil it? Out of the fear, if WCW had done it, it would have actually been effective for WCW. Or do you think they spoiled it knowing exactly what would end up happening would happen? Did they spoil it on purpose because they said, if people know Mankind's going to win, they're going to watch? Or did I, they spoil it because they they were afraid that WCW would have spoiled it first? I think there's some truth to both of those statements. However, I think because WWF was on such a roll creatively that I don't think they were afraid of what anything WCW was going to do at that time. That's um, true, yeah. I, I, I believe that it was done knowing that people will tune in to watch. Um, because at that point, like I said, like it was, you know, there was, there was, they were flying without a net, both shows in, in some sense right, right. creatively, you know? So like all, all bets were off. The rules were changed at that point, And I don't think WWF was afraid of what WCW was going to do had they spoiled it first. I think they were, they, they knew what was going to happen if they spoiled it, if, if WWF spoiled it first and they wanted to. They they wanted to reap the, the the benefits of them being the ones to break the news. So I don't think it was a, I don't think it was any kind of sense of them being afraid. But um, you know, as a, as a kid, it was fun. Uh, didn't think big picture like you. It was just something that took place on TV. But it was still a pretty cool moment. You know, my my I always say it. My remote control in high school got more action than I did between flipping back and forth to Raw and Nitro. I just remember. Um, I do remember, like, I was, I was a touch disappointed at the, the, the finger poke. Not that the finger poke actually happened, but that 
they reunited the NWO with Hogan and them because I was like, I was, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but I was really dead set as a kid thinking that like Nash and the NWO are going to turn on Hulk Hogan, like Hulk Hogan's right. out of the NWO. I was dead set. I was, I was totally, totally, totally the way things transpired. Hall helping Nash, Nash, you know. Offering the rematch to Goldberg, they set Goldberg up. Hall returns to help Nash right. with Hogan, and then the, you know what I mean. Hogan leaving to be president. All those dots connected. I was like, Hogan's out. Nash is going to lead the NWO. And when it didn't happen, I wasn't overly impressed with what they gave us. But I wasn't upset like most wrestling fans are. Yeah, they didn't like bungle this. They didn't you know drop this vase of expensive. You know, rules. I wasn't, I wasn't like this is the this is the, the worst thing ever. Yeah, 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 like, yeah no I way. Wasn't, no I wasn't way. like, oh, this is it. This is the moment where it's gonna. You know, like everyone says, like, oh, I knew when, yeah. when the, the finger poke happened, it was the end. No, no, I didn't think that at all. And and so when Nitro ended, I was like, oh, good. There's still about ten minutes or so in this main event, so I can watch the rest of the main event without having to flip back and forth. And I saw, you know, Foley and Rock, and I knew what was going to happen. You but could it was argue, still... not that it was a, in the grand scheme of things, you could argue in retrospect, that might be the greatest regret that Eric Bischoff has about that night. Not spoiling the finisher, but timing it as such where you didn't have time to watch the last moments of the Mankind match. So, you could argue that. So you're so so you're saying if if Bischoff maybe bought a little bit more and Turner bought a little bit more airtime to dip into Raw's main event. Yeah. Okay. Because they, they, they owned it. They owned it, and they used to do what three and four minutes before Raw yeah. would go you, on you the air. You could argue that that would have been the bungle if there if that was even presented or even thought of. If it was an idea, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like God, like I I would be curious as to know if that was even something considered. Um, you know, or if it was just not an option. If it wasn't an option, then this is fate complete. But I think if it was, why wouldn't you? Because if, again, they don't have the run sheet that Vince McMahon puts together for a show, but you just, you gave, you satisfied their palate with what you offered them that night. And you said, okay, go run free and enjoy the rest of that other show that you're competing with. So I would think that that would have been of, you got. You would hope that they would have thought about that. That yeah. would have been a very interesting thing because that I feel like is more of a bungle than spoiling the finish. Yeah. No. And you make a great point there because now that I go back and think about it, watching that match when it started, I was like, Hogan's in dress slacks and cowboy boots. I was like, this isn't gonna last very long. And there's what three minutes, four minutes left before you know the eleven o'clock hour, and, and they never really. They used to go ahead. Yeah. They would never. They would never. And past eleven o'clock, right? They would never do an overrun. They would go three or four minutes before they'd get before the the you know, the, the eight o'clock time slot. But right. they would never go past eleven yeah. o'clock. And they would do the whole "We're out of time. We'll see you next week." The footage will be on Thunder. Gotta go. Bye. You know, like, yeah. They never did that. So yeah. when I saw Hogan out there, tape fish, dress slacks, and cowboy boots, I was like, "Yeah, we're, yeah, this." Something's going down. It's fishy. Yeah, this ain't a match. Yeah, this isn't a match. Yeah, it was very short. And and you're probably right. They probably didn't have that option for them. But you would think you had a whole week to kind of craft this live show up against the show that is happening, that's already in the can. You know know what I mean? That's in post-production at this point. So you got to think that maybe a phone call, some sort of channels could have been taken and, and, and gone through to position the show minute by minute so that you are you're you're really putting a gun to the audience's head you know what's interesting too that i think about now is that even when they went three hours on nitro um 
they used to do the replay of Nitro immediately following they the did. live airing. That's right. There was six hours of Nitro. So if That's you right. think about it here, I can't imagine that they had any really important programming at eleven um, o'clock at, at night. Yeah. No, past no after the after the, the replay uh, of Nitro yeah, that was yeah. going to affect maybe an overrun. Sure. So I, I you make a great point there that like that I'm surprised that that scenario wasn't put on the table or if it was why they didn't capitalize and use that to dip into raw's main event but nonetheless um history making night as it was and business as usual but you know a, a lot of a lot of questions to, to to be asked and answered in the 20 years following that some good some bad but i'd like to thank you so much for well, being a part of this this of has been a lot of fun absolutely uh, long time ahead yeah and, and hopefully we'll get you back for you know a couple more shows uh, i'll give you guys a, a little schedule here a little rundown for you as we start the new year as we march to wrestlemania and we begin with uh some Royal Rumble retrospective, if you will. In the next two weeks, January the 9th and January the 16th, we're going to be doing a two-part special on runners-up in the Royal Rumble match. We're going to talk about their careers following this devastating loss in the Royal Rumble match all the way from 1988 to 2018. We're going to cover each and every person who was the runner-up in those respective Royal Rumble matches, how they fared following it, and could they have been better Royal Rumble winners than Royal Rumble runner-ups. So check that out next week, January the 9th, and the following week, January the 16th, for our two-part special. Second place is the first loser. Royal Rumble runner-ups. And then following that, we're going to do a special Royal Rumble match watch-along. The silver anniversary of the 1994 Royal Rumble match. Probably one of my favorite Royal Rumble matches of all time. I know it's one of your favorites. Um, it was the night that we saw for the first time and only time in Royal Rumble history a tie in the Royal Rumble match with Bret Hart and Lex Luger. So have your WWE Network fired up January the 23rd for a special Royal Rumble 19... The, the 1994 Royal Rumble match watch-along. We're not going to cover the whole Royal Rumble event. We're just going to do a watch-along on that Royal Rumble match. So have your WWE Network fired up January the 23rd. And then the following week, we end the month of January with... Another watch-along, but this time we're going to cover January 1st, 1996, the Raw Bowl. We're in bowl season for football. College football's got national championships. They got Fiesta Bowls. They got Sugar Bowls. They got Taquito Bowls. <laughs> they got Salad Bowls. College football is bowled out. And then... Later on that week is the NFL's Super Bowl. The NFL, being the WWE of professional uh, football, is going to put on their Super Bowl. So I thought, why don't we do a special watch-along on the 1996 Raw Bowl from January 1st, 1996 edition of WWF Monday Night Raw. There were some interesting uh, uh, developments that uh, took place on that show. It was very football-themed, and uh, I just thought it would be fun to kind of watch, you know, an old episode of Raw that, you know, hasn't been done since. We have not seen a bowl match in WWE history or in wrestling history uh, since that evening. But, uh, yeah, that's your schedule for the month of January here on Kicking Out at 2. And I'd like to thank you all once again for hitting that download button. You can find archived links of our show over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at 2. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have, tell a friend who loves retro pro wrestling throwback discussions, pictures, videos, 
videos, debates, memes, GIFs or GIFs, whatever they call them. We got all that kind of fun stuff up there over on the Facebook page, and we're over on Twitter, too. Our handle is at KickingOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. The same fun and madness that I'm trying to develop and create over on Facebook. I'm doing it on Twitter, but 140 characters or less. All right, it is about that time we put this show down for the three count. No more false finishes, no more run-ins, no more screw jobs, no more finger pokes of doom, if you will. We will see you all next week.